0: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.
1: You're listening to MPB Think Radio, and this is Creature Comforts, the show all about your animals and the animals around you. I'm Java Chapman here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Uh, today is going to be a great show because it's always a good time when uh, Terry Vander Vener joins the show. He's our resident snake snake man, <laughs> so he's going to be telling us all about the Mississippi snakes that you may be seeing. I know I've seen some in my yard and uh, seen a lot social. Social media. Everybody's uh, in the yard during this COVID-19 quarantine, and um, a lot of people are finding some slithering friends, so we're going to talk to him all about that. Also, Dr. Trey Major is here for your pet questions, and um, we always want to hear about any other brushes of nature you may have, so join the show, one mpb ring that's 1-877-672-7464, or send an email to animals at MPB online.org. Uh good morning Libby. Good morning Dr. Major. How are you guys doing today?
2: Good morning. I'm doing well. Doing good. Good morning.
1: Well, I'm glad everybody could be here except for Kevin uh as uh just like last week I'm filling in. Hopefully he will be back next week uh so I can be behind the behind the boards like I usually am, but today I'm in front of the mic and uh, like I said, we got Terry Van Verna coming up and I don't know about you guys, uh, Libby and Dr. Troy, but I have been in my yard during uh, this quarantine pandemic and I have seen one or two snakes <laughs> and um, it's always, uh, I guess, a surprise. Have you guys uh, seen any uh, recent, recent snakes where you guys are? Uh, yes,
2: and i've seen a um a cor- a, um corn snake i almost said coral snake, but that would be really great
3: a <laughs> corn
2: snake and i've seen some little earth snakes in the garden
1: what about you and, dr um, major
2: uh king snake
4: uh i think we have a resident king snake there and which is good and uh a um, gosh. Rat snake, I guess you call it, yeah, uh, the brown rat snake, uh, they, they're there, and they would rather not be disturbed. Uh, of course, sometimes you can't help it if you're working in the flower bed or uh, moving stuff around, but uh, just let them know you're there, and they, they avoid you pretty well.
1: Yeah, that's the comment that I made to my father we were working in the yard together and we ran up against a snake and I was, you know, just kind of telling him that as Terry has told us before that the snakes really just kind of want to stay out of our way. So, you know, unlike uh I guess the thoughts that people may have, the snake didn't try to jump out and get me. It just basically kind of slither back to where it was so it can be out of sight
2: (laughs) yeah that's true you know we saw a great big black racer it came out from under Paul's uh tractor when he cranked it up but it took one look at us and ran under the woodpile real quick. So it did not want to have anything to
1: do with us. Yeah. And I know Terry, he's going to talk more about that when we uh, bring him on the show in just a little bit, but we have an early phone call. So we're going to go ahead and go to the phones and talk to John uh, from Moss Point. Good morning, John. How are you doing?
5: I'm great. Can you hear me?
1: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Go ahead. You want to have a, a, a go at about a bird question this morning?
5: Yeah, I do. Um, I'm really fortunate that I'll be able to work from home for for the last eight weeks. And uh, I've got my office set up looking right out on my bird feeder. And um, there's a lot of activity. And I'm really curious about cardinals. And it seems like the cardinals, uh, male and female, are very sort of devoted to one another. Um, And I was just curious, do they – Do they have a lasting, you know, mating uh, behavior? Do they mate with the same partner year after year?
2: Yes, I think Cardinal is is one of the birds, and I'll I'll do a little more reading about it, but they're one of the birds that that do keep their mates. And they're year-round residents here. So I'm pretty sure that male and female, they keep up with each other more than just during mating season. And, you know, I've noticed that too. It's like they're all, they're sitting together, taking care of each other. A couple of times I've seen a male feed a female. And mine are not, I won't call it aggressive, but generally when they sit down on the Feeder. I've got five feeders out there, and if they set on one, the little birds will move to the next one. They're out there with the indigo buntings, and the indigos will give them a pretty wide burst. Are you seeing that too?
5: Yeah, the, the males are pretty aggressive. I mean, the, the male cardinals seem to uh, they don't they don't like a lot of other birds around them. They'll chase them away.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you kind of particularly start watching that female and seeing where she goes when she leaves your feeder, uh, you might find their nest. I found a nest in our live oak. It's the other side of the house from the feeders, but I, I saw her going in there several times. So I got binoculars and looked from every angle and finally saw her sitting on a nest. So that's a fun thing to kind of, uh, now I'll start watching and see if I can see the baby's fledge.
5: Well, great. Thank you very much. I, I was just really curious. They seem to be really, uh, the male and female seem to be really devoted to one another. So that, that makes sense that they may, or, you know, year after year. Right.
4: One thing, one thing I've seen, of course, is that the cardinals are very ter- territorial. And cardinals and bluebirds are the ones that usually uh, attack themselves in the uh, window or mirror wherever they can see a reflection. And yeah. sometimes it gets to be pretty uh, worrisome because they'll—you you would think that they would break their beak, but uh, I don't think that's happened. But they will certainly attack uh, their reflection in a, in a window. And
2: uh, you, it can, you know, I had a female cardinal one year. I think our, we talked about it on air a few years ago. Go And I don't see how she could have possibly raised a brood because she just beat on the same window. And every time, you know, I put various things on it and she would just move around and get the window right next to it. But sometimes they really get obsessive.
1: Well, appreciate you for joining us uh, this morning, John. Uh, and if you want to join the conversation, one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We always love to hear about what you are seeing outside your window. And another thing that I've been seeing in my yard, along with uh, a couple of snakes, have been uh, have been frogs, or or so I thought, because my eight year old son, we were you know out in the yard and um, came up on some some. some some frogs so I thought and he told me no dad they're not frogs they're toads and he said they're toads because they have the bumps on their back and I was like well I'm going to take you for your word cuz you're in school and I'm not
2: <laughs> He's so, been paying attention hasn't he I guess
1: so yeah. so Lib- Libby was he correct
2: for you. Yeah yeah I would imagine so now, uh Frogs have much longer legs than toads and they're, you know, they'll make a big long jump and toads tend to just kind of scoot along and try to get under something fast. And the toad has that dry warty skin. A toad is actually a type of frog, the frog, but true frogs, what we call true frogs are the ones that are smoother skin. They look kind of wet and, uh, tend to be closer associated with water, and they have those long legs. The toad also is the one that has the, the um, noxious secretions that are a little bit toxic and um, so that it keeps a lot of things from eating it. And Troy might address, I know that it can give dogs and cats a little bit of problem if they um, mouth a toad.
4: It's a it's a good thing for them to get uh, to catch one at, at an early age, and usually they they drop it out because of the uh, taste. I'm not sure exactly. I haven't done any toad licking or anything like that. Uh, but <laughs> apparently it's it's noxious to the the dog. Cats usually are pretty smart. They usually don't mess with the toad like that. Uh, but dogs will, and they will drool. And uh, most of the time they won't they won't mess with the toad again, simply because of that. Uh, but uh, we see that uh, this time of year. And as I said, sometimes it's a learning process for the younger dogs.
1: And the one thing i always i always show him uh too is um as he was differentiating frogs and toads for his his dear old papa uh <laughs> um is about the camouflage because you know sometimes these uh these little creatures are so hard to see in a in a pile of leaves or in the grass they blend in so well, and he knows the word camouflage so we we talk about that in in conjunction to uh finding critters. Now I'm do,
2: glad he's getting to spend some time outside with you. This is such a beautiful spring.
1: Oh yeah, but, um, it is. This every every day has really been kind of nice when it's not raining. <laughs> yeah. Well, we do have a, a bunch of calls before we go uh, to break, and I see a lot of people are looking out of their window. So we're going to talk to Mary in Oxford, and you want to talk about the birds outside your window, Mary?
3: Yes. This is a strange thing that happened. I have a long back porch with uh, glass all over double pane. And one day I found what looked like a BB uh, hole in it. And uh, I asked my handyman if he could fix it. So he came yesterday to fix it and uh, found a little bird lying down uh, by the window. And the whole glass was cracked. Uh, One side of the double pane was cracked all the way down. One little thing it was a beautiful bird. It had kind of a greenish back and a little speckled white front. I don't know what kind of bird that was. But I felt so sad. So what I've been doing the last few years, because this has happened before, is put old CDs. I taped them up on the windows so that it kind of looks like an eye or something, I guess. that I did not have one on that baller window. I was really sad. Thank you, Mary,
2: for sharing that, because that's something that we all need to be mindful of. Birds have such a hard time with window strikes, and your CDs are one way to deal with it. Any kind of a wind chime or decals in the windows, things that help alert them that there's something there.
1: Well, we appreciate you joining the show, Mary. We're going to continue on the phones and talk with Kathleen from Osaka. Good morning, Kathleen.
3: Good morning, guys i got another funny window story. My cats were bored, you know, inside and out, inside and out. So I got two old planters, put them outside my window, put a plank across, and I started putting some bird feed or some dried bread or some little things out there. All seven of them piled up in one window, and they looked like bowling pins, Watching a tennis match. Wherever the birds went, all seven heads would turn one way. And I know I'm bored, but it just amused me for a long time. And uh, a little tip, hang Mardi Gras beads outside your window or make a macrame. If it's broken pattern, they tend to recognize it been something solid. Great idea. Yes. Y'all have a good day and keep laughing at us. We got to have something to get us through, right?
1: That's right. That's we appreciate good. you uh appreciate you joining us this morning, Kathleen. And as Hi. we get ready to um go to our n- first break for the hour, um want to let you know we got Terry Vanderwinner who is going to be on the show talking about some of the snakes, but first we have uh Cynthia from Paris, Mississippi <laughs> wants to talk about uh raccoons this morning. Good morning, Cynthia.
3: Good morning. I was sitting outside the other day, midday, sunny. And a raccoon kept came walking in front of me, and I started clapping my hands and told it to go away, but it acted like it was in another world. It just totally ignored me, and I was wondering what, what could be going
0: on with the raccoon in the daytime.
2: Um, was there any source of food that they might have been going to? No, ma'am. No, no dog food or cat food out. So he's just hanging oh, no. He's
1: out. on a stroll. He's on an afternoon stroll. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, just going through the yard. Yeah, he going about his own business. Uh, well, it would be a good idea not to feed him, so that you just get to see him cruising around and don't have to worry about him uh, hanging around too close. Well,
3: I was just
2: afraid he might be sick but hopefully he wouldn't yeah hopefully not um troy you might mention some uh some things to look for if if one is sick i would think you would kind of know by its behavior right
4: right it, it would be hard to say you know from the description but a lot of times uh raccoon for example if it's sick uh might be skinny, uh, had lost weight, hard to tell, I know. And the fact that he didn't pay attention to you is a little strange, uh, especially if you were making noise or clapping your hands. So there may have been something going on with this raccoon. Uh, Raccoons can be susceptible to canine distemper uh, and other uh, diseases like that. And uh, I I would be careful any time you're around one that close, just really try to avoid it.
0: Well, thanks for
3: taking my call and I appreciate your show.
1: Well, we thank you for joining us this morning, uh, Cynthia. And one thing um, I know, Dr. Major, s- uh, said about that with the behavior of a, a animal and uh, correlating it with, with being sick, that was kind of odd that it wasn't reacting to her making noise like that. Yeah, and it,
2: it may just be that it was intent on wherever it had to go. And yeah, It may be that He's there often, and he sees her often, so he was not alarmed. But
4: he he may have been on a, he may have been on a, on a mission. You don't know.
3: Yeah.
1: All right. Well, it's time to take our first break for the hour. And if you want to join our show, uh please do one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. That's one eight seven seven MPB ring. And when we come back, our guest for today, Terry Vandervener, no stranger to the show. And if you've heard him before, then you know he's gonna be talking about snakes. Mississippi is home to over forty different species of snakes, and a lot have been spotted. So make sure you tune in and Uh, give us your questions once again that number is 1-877-MPB-RING that's 1-877-672-7464 or you can send an email to animals at mpbonline.org we'll be right back after the break You're listening to Creature Conference right here on MPB Think Radio. I'm Java Chapman, and as always, joined by Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield. And today, our special guest is Terry Vend- Vanderventer. <laughs> Sorry about that, Terry. Uh, he's here to talk about the snakes of Mississippi and what you may be encountering this time of year. So if you have a snake question or just a brush with nature, 1-877-MPB-RING, one 672 7464 is the number you need to call. And uh, first off, welcome back, Terry. How are you doing today, sir?
0: Oh, I'm doing fine. Always a pleasure to be here.
1: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's always a good time when you join the show. And uh, before the break, I mentioned, I said we, Mississippi is home to, um, I think I have the number correct, 40 different species of snakes. Is that—is that accurate?
0: Well, it is. And if you consider uh, what we call subspecies, there's 56 different kinds of snakes, and they're distinctly different from each other.
1: Okay, and I guess my next question and like some people may say the most important, how many of those species are venomous?
0: Only 6. 14%.
1: Okay. So
0: that's, that's not too bad.
1: Yeah, so the so when we come across these critters in our yards, the likelihood of it being a um venomous snake is is lower than it is being a non-venomous snake.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But we do have venomous snakes that are quite common, you know, and, and make up a major part of the, the local snake population. Uh, I live on a lake, and we and I commonly see cottonmouths in my yard, and uh, we pay little mind to them, but, uh, but that's one of the snakes I see most frequently where I live.
1: Okay. Now with, um, uh, I guess you seeing that in your yard, I guess as a, as a city dweller <laughs> myself, um, how, what, 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 what type of snakes? I actually did see a snake. I didn't get close enough or investigate to get any, um, you know, specific characteristics about it, but I did see a snake in my yard and, uh, what may people be seeing in their yards or gardens this time of year, especially for those, uh, in the city?
0: Sure. If you're out doing yard work and you're trimming up the monkey grass and turning over the pine straw and lifting, lifting your uh, railroad ties and landscape timbers, you're going to see little tiny snakes about a foot long, gray, no no distinct markings. And We call those earth snakes, and they're perfectly harmless, and they're full-grown and very, very abundant. In the springtime, they tend to kind of disappear as, we, as it gets warmer. King snakes are common in in, uh, in cities and as are rat snakes. So the king snake is easy to tell, black with little white or yellow polka dots all over his body, the speckled king snake. And the rat snake is a larger snake that has is kind of a grayish color with large uh, kind of square blotches running the length of the body. That's your grandma's chicken snake. That's <laughs> another, another name for it. And those, those are all very... Well, adapted to living in urban situations.
1: Okay. Well, I actually, I guess um, our um, listeners knew that you were coming because um, I have an a email here uh, from Keith and it says, I have a rambunctious six month old kitten. And Dr. Major, you can uh, chime in on this. I have a rambunctious six month old <laughs> kitten that likes to pounce on anything that moves. I also have a four and a half foot king snake that lives next to my house and patrols the yard. Twice I have grabbed my kitten before he pounced on the snake. How serious would it be if the snake were to bite him should I try to relocate the king snake? So, um, Terry, go ahead and tell us about that.
0: Sure. Well, a, a bite from a king snake is inconsequential. It's nothing. The scratches from that little kitten are more severe than the bite. But you're talking to somebody who is an advocate for keeping house cats in the house. They should never be allowed outside. They are a biohazard. They're an introduced species, and they destroy billions of reptiles, amphibians, and songbirds in America every year. So the best thing to do is allow your king snake to roam the property and eat the rats and mice and eat the venomous snakes that come around and keep your, keep your kitten indoors. So that's that's my political statement for the day.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, Dr. Major, I think there's really no kind of um, curbing a, a rambunctious six-month-year-old kitten from uh, trying to pounce on everything, correct?
4: Right. And uh, I concur wholeheartedly with Terry. Uh, cats really need to be inside. They don't need to be outside. But uh, that's not going to happen uh, as far as— uh, universally, but they do a lot of destruction of small <coughs> animals, uh, toads, um, small snakes, this sort of thing, and as he said, the scratch on the snake could be uh, very harmful, uh, so I would suggest that best to keep in. There may be other snakes out there as well, and I've found over the years that uh, cats are pretty good about not getting bitten by a snake, let's say a cottonmouth or some other snake, they can get bitten, but uh, 99% of the time when a cat is presented with an abscess or a bite wound, is from another cat, from being outside. Uh, cats, however, dogs, on the other hand, they're notorious for sticking their nose right down on the snake, and subsequently they get bitten, uh, usually on the face or maybe on the foot. So that's... My take and I would say Terry's absolutely right by keeping cats inside.
1: All right. Well Larry um from Starkville is on the line and let's let's go ahead and talk with Larry. I think he has a uh a snake story this morning. Good morning, Larry. Good morning. Go ahead with your story, sir.
5: Yes, um on Tuesday of this week and I'll try to make it brief to get to the problem I've got, uh, my wife and I discovered a really large gray rat snake attempting uh to raid a cardinal nest that was in a shrub here by the house so i caught it and put it in a uh, black oil sunflower seed sack tied it up we put it in our jeep and took off to carry it away from our house uh, a mile or so and when we got to where we were going the sack was empty um oh, no. we didn't know there was a hole in the bottom of the sack and the last the snake has been seen it was crawling up behind the dashboard now that was tuesday and um, um my question is how do i get it out and how long will it live it, give me some advice
1: Oh, wow. Larry, that that sounds like an ordeal. Uh, Terry, did you hear that this morning? Yeah, I had had some trouble
0: hearing it, but so you correct me. uh, He had a rat snake that was attempting to eat uh, babies or eggs out of a cardinal's nest. Is that correct? Is that
1: correct, Larry? That's correct. The The real
0: issue is the
5: snake that's now in my Jeep.
1: Yeah, the snake is now in his jeep. He tried to carry it away, and it's, it's behind the oh, dash. It's, oh, yeah, the real, yeah, oh. the real problem is the snake is behind the da- His jeep's dashboard.
0: Oh boy, this, this is this is not a new story. <laughs> <laughs> this is a common thing. What I what I would suggest is uh, park your jeep in direct sunshine. In you know, if it's in a parking lot or in the middle of your yard or somewhere, in direct hot sunshine, open your doors. And, uh, hopefully the snake will evacuate. Hopefully he'll get out of there. Cause, um, frankly, if, uh, if I catch a snake and put him on, put the container on the front seat of the car and I go into a convenience store to get a Coke and come back out, that snake may be dead because they cannot take the heat. And we know how hot a, a car can get and you don't want him to die in there. So I would, I would suggest just parking it, opening the, opening all the doors. And parking it in the brightest, hottest sunshine so that he will leave and get out of there. You may never know, but uh, but that's the only thing I can think of other than just dismantling the vehicle. Sorry.
1: Well, Terry, let's talk. I guess let's talk a little bit about the the biology of the snake. The snake is unable to um, uh, regulate the temperature because it wouldn't be. It just wouldn't want to take that heat. Am I saying that correct?
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah kind of, snakes do something called thermal regulation meaning they they move around in order to control their body temperature. They may lie in the sun for a few moments to warm themselves up, and when they reach a certain temperature that's uncomfortable, they move to the shade. And by moving back and forth, they can maintain an average, proper temperature. But if they're stuck in a situation where they can't get away from it, then they'll die. And people say snakes love sunshine. Not really. Not really. (laughs) You can take a desert snake and set him down in the sun and and in three or four minutes he's dead oh. so uh you yeah, know they have to be very careful and that's why uh uh I, I say you know if if you make the the environment uncomfortable for that rat snake he will probably get out of there you know as quickly as he can
1: okay well Larry I hope that holds uh, <laughs> gives you gives you some advice uh this morning and I really that's kind of unfortunate I don't know how often I would jump in my jeep just because I I would be scared. Um, But um, let's uh, (laughs) talk about, I guess, a bright spot with the snakes in your yard. That snake for Larry was trying to eat some um, cardinal eggs. But um, uh, what would be some benefits of having some uh, snakes in the yard? I know we chase the rodents and rats.
0: Sure, sure. And, you know, we always think about what does this creature do for me? We sometimes don't think about its role in the environment. What good is it to me? And so what we have to, so so many times to convince people that these are good things, we have to find things that they do that benefit us. And one of the most important things snakes do is they kill rats and mice. And rats and mice reproduce at a tremendous rate. And they eat our food. They destroy our property. They spread disease. And snakes eat rats and mice. And, and snakes are intrinsically good things they you know snakes don't hate people
1: <laughs> snakes
0: don't don't attack human beings they don't chase people but you know we, if something goes way way back in our psyche you know in our in our history something about snakes we makes us nervous and so having them around is is sometimes kind of an iffy thing but they are out there working for you You know, they're working for themselves, but as a byproduct, they're helping you by destroying rats and mice. But um, a cardinal is a native species. A rat snake is a native species. They've been eating each other for, you know, for millennia.
1: Now, that's the one. Yeah, I I always like to. um, And I'm glad you brought that point up because I always like to point that out, that the ecosystem (laughs) has been um, this way. And, you know, for a long while, we are the ones who kind of you know kind of introduced our own thoughts and feelings in, into it
0: yeah. exactly exactly so you know it's it, it's easy to say well you know they were here first right but when but when the grand youngins enter the scenario and there's been a snake in the yard well we don't worry about that anymore do we so,
1: Yeah. Now that's true. Now we're gonna go ahead and take our next our next break for the um for okay. the hour. So if uh someone wants to if you want to join our show, 1-877-MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. And as Terry just alluded, um, we're gonna talk about ways of I guess keeping the snakes from out of your space if you don't want them around. Um but we're gonna come back and talk more with Terry Vander Venner about some of the snakes of Mississippi. Also, Dr. Troy Major is ready for your pet questions. The number is one mpb ring That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can send us an email, animals at mpbonline.org. We'll be back with more Creature Comforts after this. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. I'm Java Chapman, and this is Creature Comforts. I'm here this morning with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and our guest for the hour, Mr. Terry Vandervinner. If you miss any of today's show, you can always subscribe to the podcast using any podcasting app. Just search Creature Comforts or use the MPB public media app. You can join today's conversation. 1-877-672-7464. Liz Gill is on the boards this morning, doing a very wonderful job, double duty and getting calls lined up. So we do have some listeners we're gonna be speaking with in just a little while. But Terry, before the break, we were talking about the grand youngins in the yard and you see that snake. And what do you do next? If you don't want the snakes in your yard, is there any kind of magic cure all to keep them out of your your situation?
0: no but there's 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 things we can do the very first thing you do is you teach your children that's that was the famous song wasn't it you teach your children and little children one-year-olds two-year-olds can be taught don't pick these things up you know tell tell mama about it come tell dad but uh but otherwise uh other than educating the children you can do things around your yard uh first off is is uh, completely neglect all these things you hear about snake repellents. There is no such thing on the planet as a snake repellent. You can buy snake repellents at big box stores. They do not work. You can Google this. They they do nothing. Mothballs. They do nothing, contrary to what your grandma says. (laughs) Mothballs do not uh, get rid of snakes. And it is a federal crime to put mothballs out you know, in your yard and use them in a manner that's not prescribed. There's no such thing as a snake repellent. But you can clean up your yard. You can mow it so that you can see a snake if one's passing through. That makes it easy. Clean up areas of of boards and wood piles and, and uh, you know, trash heaps and things like that that give haven to rats and mice, which then brings in snakes. Uh, I mean, it only makes sense. And then those, those big sheets of Katrina tin that blew off your roof years ago that your husband has put behind the garage because someday I'm going to do something with that. <laughs> no, no, he isn't. Take it to recycling. Get rid of that because, because piles of sheet metal like that are snake magnets. And when my wife and I go snake hunting in the springtime, we don't go snake hunting. We go tin hunting because that's where the snakes are. So get rid of that kind of thing. Clean up the place, and um, and just be aware. Just oh. be aware. You know that's all it is.
1: Now, like we said earlier, uh, Mississippi is home to about forty uh, different mm-hmm. species. With the subspecies, uh, I think you said fifty-six. And yeah. out of those, only fourteen percent are poisonous, venomous. Right. So right.
0: Only, only six different kind. Only six of those out of the 56, are venomous.
1: So how do you spot a venomous snake uh, versus a non-venomous, or can you do that?
0: Yeah, sure, sure you can. Uh, one thing to consider is that uh, head shape, the shape of the snake's head, is not indicative of venomous versus non-venomous. We've been told all our lives that venomous snakes have big triangular heads, and you can tell them from a, from a non-venomous snake, and that is not true. That's a wives' tale. So the deadliest snake in Mississippi has a very narrow little head that's hard, that is really not any wider than its neck. And whereas copperheads and rattlesnakes have big white heads, so do water snakes and so do rat snakes and so do most venomous snakes. I, I'm sorry, most <clears throat> non-venomous snakes. And a non-venomous snake, when threatened, will flatten his head and make it a better angular, triangular shape than a venomous snake does. So the head shape has nothing to do with it at all. Learn what their patterns look like. Learn what their, their colors look like. At the Museum of Natural Science, when it opens again, <laughs> you can go there and get a poster, a wall poster, of the venomous snakes of Mississippi. And if you are open-minded and you want to learn these things, that poster will help you to identify uh, our six venomous snakes. Uh, color, uh, there's 12 color photographs and descriptions, and that will help you if you're of the mind to do that. Otherwise, leave all snakes alone. That, that seems kind of academic, doesn't it? Your mama told you leave all snakes alone, and don't try to kill them. The vast majority of bites in America happen during the commission of snake murder.
1: Now, what I hear you saying, Terry, is education is our number one tool against uh, (laughs) being safe with snakes. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, and avoidance. If you you don't feel comfortable with them, the last thing you want to do is wade in and try to kill it. And, you know, so, gosh, hundreds of thousands of schoolchildren have heard me over the past 40-some years take two steps back and walk away. There you no, go. No snake in Mississippi can harm you if you take two steps away from it, and take two steps back, walk away, show respect for our wildlife heritage.
1: Contrary to what the movies may tell you, take two steps back and you'll be all right. Let's go to um, Patrick in Capaya County, who um, wants to join the show this morning. Good morning, Patrick.
3: Good morning.
1: Go ahead with your question or comment.
5: We have a pond that we fish in, and there's water snakes in there, and there's some that swim with almost all their back out of the water. What kind of a snake is that?
0: Okay. Uh, The belief is that a cottonmouth, or what some people call a water moccasin, that a cottonmouth will swim high on the water as if he's inflated, whereas the harmless water snake, you basically see only his head and then a little V in the water following him, you know, of the waves. And, uh, and generally, you know, if a cottonmouth, the venomous snake, is swimming across the pond in a leisurely manner, not going anywhere in a hurry, he will float high on the water. But so will a hognose snake, and so will a rat snake, and so will a king snake, And so it's not a surefire way to tell. And any snake can dive. Any snake can go under the water completely. And cotton mouths do hunt underwater and they do dive and go below the water. So, so sometimes, you know, that, that theory works, but most of the times, you know, it, you, you just have to be careful because it, it doesn't, it, you know, it's not always a sure bet. So that's, right. that's what I we tell people. <laughs>
1: All right, well, we appreciate you joining us today, Patrick. Um, we have a couple other callers on the line, and let's go to Joanna, who is in D. Uh Good morning, Joanna. Good morning. Go ahead with your question.
3: I got two questions. The first one is, how would I get king snakes into my yard? Can I buy them somewhere? Or they do
0: kill poisonous snakes, correct? Okay, Okay. Your your first question is, the, one of the most common questions I get, where can I get king snakes? With the idea being that king snakes eat venomous snakes and they'll keep the venomous snakes away. Well, you have king snakes. King snakes are one of the most common snakes in every habitat in Mississippi. They even live in the, in the surf right there at the Gulf of Mexico. I have found them under boards in salt water. So they're everywhere around your area. They're an abundant snake. Just because we don't see them doesn't mean they're not there. <clears throat> as far as relocating them or buying them or getting them, that's a, that's against the law. We can't do okay. that. And since you already have king snakes, introducing new ones into the population will cause problems. And you know they may fight, uh, they may force other ones out. Your area will only only hold a certain number of them, and if I've you put more now. in, that causes and, problems. What's your second weird. question? <laughs>
1: All right, go ahead, Joanne, with your second question.
3: Okay. Um, do do you all know of anywhere on the Gulf Coast that I could take my dog and have him made as an emotional support dog?
1: Dr. Major, are there facilities on the, on the coast that could, uh, uh, I guess, train dogs to be emotional support dogs?
4: There are, and uh, I would have to say that uh, – Contact your local veterinarian uh, they should have information about that or at least have someone that you could get in contact with. Uh, there are in the Jackson area there's there's someone who does the uh, certification and uh, I would say that uh, if you give if you give us a call here I can be would be able to, Java can give you the uh, email number or email address. And I'll try to get you in touch with somebody up this way. I know of nobody on the coast, but I'm sure there is somebody there that will do that.
1: Okay, uh, Joanne, well, just hold on for me, and we'll get um, get your information to try to help you out with that. I know during this COVID-19 pandemic, I have uh, seen a lot of emotional support animals who have uh, been playing a role, even if it's uh, behind the glass. Uh, with different with different situations, uh, we have one more question before we go to break. And I believe it, it's Clay in Jackson, and uh, wants to talk about uh, pine snakes. Good morning, Clay. Good morning.
6: Um, yes, I grew up in the in the Boy Scouts and worked at uh, Camp Tioc for many summers uh, thirty years ago, and uh, we caught lots of snakes and had a small nature emporium and, and took care of them for the summer and then released them back into the wild when camp was over. But the largest snake I've ever seen in Mississippi was a, a pine snake, and I, I think they're only found in Mississippi and Alabama. I was just curious as to if they were endangered or um, you know what the population of that particular snake <clears throat> might be.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, it, we, Mississippi is, is proud to host, uh, a spectacular snake called a black pine snake. And it occurs in the, the longleaf pine belt of southern Mississippi, uh, down south of Hattiesburg and, and in the Loosedale area, um, Camp Shelby area where they're being studied right now by the Nature Conservancy. They are protected by Mississippi state law. And a couple of years ago, they went under federal protection as a threatened species. Uh, they're um, they're they're often uh, uh, hit by cars, and um, people who don't know any better kill them on sight. And of course, they face you know major trials after that uh, should they get caught doing something like that. But they are a large black snake. Uh, they get upwards of about seven feet. A, a monster would be seven feet. Most are about five. They they blow prodigiously. They can make a sound like the air brakes on an eighteen wheeler. They blow in and out as a as a defense mechanism and they live mostly under the ground. They don't come out very much where they feed on Hispid cotton rats and and things like that. But they are you know, I've always said that the black pine snake should be our official Mississippi State snake. (laughs) That's that's I think I don't know how well that would go over, but I think that would be a really nice thing.
6: Yeah, it was just it was you know I'll, I'll never forget that snake because it was so it was as big around as my arm and it was something that you would normally never see in this area. Most of the the campers were terrified of it, but it was just a, a beautiful snake and yeah. um, just haven't seen one in thirty years. So
0: yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I've been in Mississippi almost fifty years, and I think I've encountered. Uh Two live ones and seven road kills. I think that's as many as I've found in all that period of time uh, but um but Jim Lee, working at Camp Shelby with the Nature Conservancy, has seen a uh, well over a hundred of them because wow. he traps them specifically and in their during their research project down there so so Camp Shelby is the last haven for a lot of these rare species of animals, uh, simply because it's maintained in longleaf pine. Uh, as it should be uh, in a natural state, and there's not there's not a lot going on there that would harm these critters. So, yeah, great right. snake. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. You're very welcome.
1: Well, th- yes, thank you for um, bringing that up, uh, Clay. Especially about the longleaf pine area, um, because that's um, one of the areas we haven't talked about today. I don't believe, and is the longleaf pine um, home to a number of uh, is it rattlesnakes?
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah, longleaf pine, uh, was, was cut out back in the 20s and, um, it was used for telephone poles and barns and it was the number one wood in the, in the eastern United States. It was, it was prized over all else. And, uh, I have a longleaf pine table that is, uh, you know, it made of wood that, that is anywhere. the trees were cut a hundred years ago and the trees may have been 400 years old when they were cut. And so they <laughs> wow. were magnificent trees, but the Forest Service and and forestry companies uh, decided that they didn't like longleaf, and they went with another variety. They went with the loblolly. So most of the longleaf, uh, virtually all of the virgin longleaf, is gone uh, in the Southeastern United States. It, it went from Virginia to Florida to Texas, but we still have it in Mississippi, and there and we are trying to maintain and even increase it. And many species require that particular habitat, eastern diamondback rattlesnakes, mimic glass lizards, southern hognose snakes, which haven't been seen in Mississippi in 50 years. And, um, you, you know, things like that require that kind of habitat. So so sometimes we worry about someone who might have run over a black pine snake, and that's sad, but what we need to worry about is habitat. Now, that's, that's the thing. That's what we have. To, we can't have them without habitat, for sure. Important stuff. My favorite tree in the world
1: now, I know we've we we've talked talking this almost the entire show about snakes, and we haven't talked about snake bites, but we do have Lois from Quitman who has something on that subject. Okay. Lois, good morning. How are you doing?
3: I'm fine. How are you?
1: All right. Go ahead with your comment.
3: A lot of years ago, I lived in Orlando, Florida, and I had this grass snake that always hung around, always and I kept telling my son to leave it alone. I don't do snakes, okay? And one day, he made that snake mad and it bit him. And it was a grass snake, and I don't care who says they don't bite, oh yes, they will. They're not deadly, but they he broke out in the sweat, he burned with a fever and he threw up, but then it passed. And I didn't know what to think, you know what I mean? But it does happen.
1: Well, we appreciate that, um, Lois uh, Terry. Before we get out of here, let's talk. Mm-hmm. A, let's talk a little bit about uh, snake bites and, and what happens if you do get bitten.
0: Yeah, well, in Mississippi, we have a, a, an on an in an average year, one hundred and seventy five to two hundred snake bites. You know, across the entire state, um, the major snake bite snake is the cottonmouth. And it's not because he's mean or he's aggressive or he chases you or anything. What it is is baby cottonmouths are routinely misidentified as copperheads because of their bright colors that fade as they get older. And so copperheads for many years were considered the number one snakebite species in Mississippi. We know now that it's not, that most snakebites are from baby mouths. And so... um There there's been one or two cottonmouth bite fatalities in America in the last seventy years, I think, maybe two. Uh, we cannot document ever a copperhead causing a fatality. There's some some people say yes and no, but but the real authorities say a copperhead has never killed a person. And in Mississippi we can find no documented case ever, you know, in the past seventy five years of a person dying of a snake bite. We read the obituaries. We They're in the paper. People tell us that, that their uncle died of a snake bite. But when it's investigated, we find out there was never a snake involved. And so not to say you can't. You can die of a snake bite in Mississippi. Eastern diamondbacks, coral snakes can take your life. So with modern medicine and good transportation and good communications, there's really not much reason for a person to to pass away as a result of a snake bite in Mississippi. The main thing is just leave them alone. Don't go up to them. Don't try to kill them. Um, You know, uh, let me, let me mention that there's a Facebook page we, we manage here in Mississippi called Mississippi snake forums and ID. And it is extremely popular, especially this time of year, Mississippi snake forums and identification. And that's on, on Facebook. And I'm a moderator there, and we will answer your questions there as well. And people send in tons of photographs every day of the week. And we identify them, and we talk about them. And it's a really good clearinghouse for this kind of thing. It's almost as good as Creature Comforts, let me tell you.
1: Oh, here we go now. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing better than Creature Comforts, especially on a Thursday morning. Terry, we really appreciate you for joining us today, and I know we're going to have you back on this show really soon. So thank you for uh, joining us today. And my You're friend, very welcome. My friends, that's another, that's another episode of Creature Comforts, which is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting, Think Radio. Funding is provided in part by you, and listeners like yourself, visit mpbonline.org slash Creature for today's show and past shows. Today's show was produced by myself, engineered by the lovely Liz Gill. Also was our uh, call screener for Dr. Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest, Terry Van Der Vener, I'm Java Chapman. And up next, it's AutoCorrect with the lady auto mechanic, Allison Walker. And tune in next Thursday for another edition of Creature Comforts, only on MPB Think Radio.